0: I've been struck by how many people have so many limitations around like really dreaming big, especially women, because they've been told to be a certain way and like that they need to fill certain roles and that they don't need to outperform their partner or their spouse or whatever. It's safe to dream and it's safe to dream really big and it's safe to want more. You're allowed to want more and also be grateful for where you are and what you have right now.
1: Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Dyrdek, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode, of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I'm making friends with Tori. Gordon, Tori is a trauma-informed breathwork facilitator, peak performance coach an award-winning content creator. As the founder of Coachable LLC, she has helped nearly 1 million people worldwide achieve success and fulfillment through engaging content, seminars, coaching programs, you name it. Tori's been featured on major media outlets, including NBC, CBS, and Fox News. And her popular podcast, The Coachable Podcast, has been named one of the top five podcasts to get you through COVID. As an award-winning mental health influencer, Tori's a brand ambassador for international brands such as Nature Made, Better Health, Organifi, Natural Cycles, so many more. She was named by Yahoo News as a top 10 mindset coach in the U.S. and is now a highly sought after speaker hired by organizations such as the United Nations. Tori, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. That's a very warm, generous introduction. So yeah, thanks for having of, me. Of <laughs> course,
1: we don't know how to welcome people any of you know? <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't work as well anyway if yeah. you give cold introductions for people. So. Well,
0: thank you. I'm happy yeah. to be here.
1: So you're of Vegas, local. Yes, as well, but only for the past year or so. Yeah. So, where are we from before that? New
0: transplant from Atlanta. Okay, but originally from Alabama.
1: So, East Coast, though. Yes. How do you like How do you like being on the West Side?
0: I love it, except for my skin does not love it. <laughs> it is quite.
1: It's a little dry out here. Dry. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I am happily, like, very happily, like, settled here, and Vegas has surprised me in all the good ways.
1: So you're from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about early stage family life, living out there, you know, seven, eight-year-old Tori Gordon Mm. set the scene for us. What's life like? What are your parents doing? Yeah.
0: Grew up in a very nuclear family. Older sister, four years older than me, and my parents were married for 36 years. Both of my parents were both educators and musicians. So I grew up with a big value of education Mm -hmm. and curiosity and so my parents really instilled in me resourcefulness in the way of like if you want to know something ask the right questions and learn to ask the right people and you you can be unstoppable so that was kind of instilled in me since i was really young and also was super competitive as a kid so athlete so um, you
1: were an mvp in three different sports. yeah yeah. what Uh, were the sports
0: basketball softball and soccer okay yeah
1: any of them that you liked better than the other
0: softball was my main sport okay yeah I was a pitcher so nice there's an element of liking to be in control there and but also just like I think as a kid I wanted to be as involved in every play and Mm. now looking back I think I've seen so many of the ways that's like actually shaped me more than I thought as a kid but I think it really started as somebody was like, hey, we need a pitcher who wants to volunteer. And I was always (laughs) the one to say, yeah, I'll do it.
1: What kind of ways do you think it shaped you?
0: I think it taught me to be a leader in a lot of ways, a team player, but it taught me how to work hard. It taught me how to go for a goal, know what I want, put in the work, put in the reps and get better every day. But at the same time, I think, on the darker side of that, I think it taught me like if I didn't carry the team or if I didn't make the play happen, I kind of felt like this pressure that it all like mm. was up to me. And so I've actually been thinking about this in the last few years more as I became a business owner and was doing like starting my own team and that kind of thing is like how to actually trust my team members mm. to. Yeah take the ball and be fully responsible for their role for on the team yeah. and not overcompensate and think I need to do it all.
1: You can't be responsible for everybody's role. Yeah. Do you feel though that the pressure is helpful? Where Where does it become unhealthy? I guess is the question. Cause mm. I tend, I played a lot of sports growing up, played a lot of basketball, tend to feel kind of the same way, especially in a business context, everything Mm -hmm. rises and falls on leadership. And if you're the person at the top and the person people look to, then you take more accountability than everybody else does. And with that comes a lot of stress and comes a lot of pressure and comes a lot of anxiety. And I think that some of it's extremely necessary, Yeah. but where, at what point does it become, you know, unhealthy or, you know, I guess, I guess that's really my question that I'm Mm -hmm. asking. Where do you think? That it stops being valuable because it's just constantly weighing on you or you're taking more than you should be taking or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think it it requires self-awareness to even be able to take inventory and in stock of how stressed you are and how much pressure you're actually under and how that's impacting your results. For me, I am able to notice internally what is that, what is my internal environment like. And typically my body and my mental health are going to give me cues when I'm like, I'm operating out of a really like a stressed response out instead of out of like an intentional, conscious, grounded decision making place. And I think part of being a real leader requires you to be humble enough to say, I need help Mm. and I'm taking on too much. And be able to delegate. And that's been a learning curve for me, especially in business as I have grown and scaled and still operate a very small team of people that I only like deeply trust because like in business of any kind, like no one, there's this idea that no one's going to care as much as you care. Mm -hmm. Right. And no, and you want people to, to take care of your baby. It's like, this is my baby. This is what I'm working on and pursuing every day. And you want the people that are working on your team to care as much about the product. So I think for me, it's really having my finger on the pulse of my own internal environment and really doing intentional check-ins and like, how am I doing? Like, and my results tend to speak for themselves when I'm like, the tension is pulling to where I'm like fraying mm-hmm. at the end. That's the time where I'm like, okay, we need to take some of that tension off. Yeah, then and it's time to take a day. In what ways can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> how,
1: how do you like to work through that? Is there like an activity you do, an action that you take, a meditation you try, mm-hmm. conversations you have, people you call? What's your process for working All through that? <laughs>
0: All <laughs> of the above. All of the above. Yeah, I've got a lot of tools. So breath work is one of those for me it is an immediate state changer it um is. it it's helps a, it me. is a hack it is a sure. hack yeah cuz just in a couple of minutes i can go from a stress response to down regulating my nervous system and feeling more grounded and in control of everything happening yeah. and so that's like an immediate thing getting in nature is really big for me okay. it helps me to ground because it, when i get in those states right it's like you're really heavily operating in your mind the mental is it's like you're thinking about all the things you need to do. Yeah. You're thinking about your laundry list of personal and professional things that are taxing on you. You're thinking about what could go wrong, what could go right, whatever. And so but mostly big, what could go wrong? Yeah. But a big <laughs> yeah. part of it is like, let me get reconnected. What's actually true and what's actually real because my mind can play games and, and, and I don't need to believe everything I think. And what matters. Right. Right.
1: Because like that, that's, I do lot of the same things, try to you know, spend a day or two by myself at the beach or something like Mm -hmm. I get by myself for sure. And then try to get out, even if it's just, like I said, smoking a cigar Mm -hmm. with a beautiful view at sunset somewhere with a drink in my hand and a re-engagement into what it means to be alive and an appreciation for just being, Mm -hmm. because that's already a blessing to just Mm -hmm. be. And then realizing that anything I build on top of that is just icing on the cake. right? You know what I mean? It's like, on, I, first of all, I'm here at this with this beautiful view and enjoying time with myself, smoking a cigar with a whiskey and having a great evening. And if that's all life provided me, it would be a fucking great yeah. life. Yep. But I get the opportunity to do all these other things. And if I can figure out a way to make sure that I can re-engage with me, with Travis, it's deep down in here somewhere, mm-hmm. the real version of me, then I think that version is much more likely to be able to go conquer a bunch more things because, oh, you know, perfect. the life is not a, zero sum game it's not mm-hmm. a you win or you lose type of a thing it's like there's multiple ways
0: to make it out um,
1: so yeah I, I do a lot of the same things try to get yeah. myself well and everything you just
0: said is like are things that help us get present right yeah. and when you're in the mind you're not really present with you're not in engaged relationship with life you're in a relationship with your mind mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of the thoughts that you're having and so whatever practices that i tend to use are ones that bring me back into the present moment of actually what's really real and what's actually really going on so that I can either attune and meet my needs or just, again, come back to the truth that, like, everything is okay.
1: Yeah, right. Even if it's seemingly not, it is.
0: it really is. That's one of the reasons I love
1: having a show, too, because I get to sit down and have conversations with people like you all the time. And when we dig into their story, there's inevitably periods of of uncertainty where there's obstacles you're not sure how to overcome. There's huge problems. There's bankruptcies. There's people losing tens of millions of dollars on deals. There's people that have built up a nine figure net worth, lost it all that like they every successful person I've talked to, has these moments in these periods of time where they're like, what am I doing? Am I qualified to do this? I don't know exactly how I got to where I am now. And I yeah. don't know how I'm going to get to where I'm going. And I'm totally underqualified and nobody believes me. And I don't believe in myself. And I should just go back to flipping burgers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that really helps me is trying to think about what I want my story to be in 10, 20 years from now, like five years from now, Travis, 10 years from now, Travis, 20 years from now, Travis what part of my journey is this going to be when I'm telling that story on stage or at a podcast in 20 years from now, right? This is going to be that part where I'm like, yeah, I thought everything was over. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I'm losing this or I'm not in control of this thing, or I'm I'm under a lot of stress or pressure. But if I can take myself out of that and put myself in 20 years from now, Travis and be like, look, I I think that's what's so important about committing to the long term is that I know that I'm in the game long. Mm -hmm. So I know it's going to work out at some point because there's no way it's not going to because right. I'm in the game that long. It, this is just part of the story. Yeah, along that's the way.
0: that's the perspective that I think most people miss and don't. And I think having that perspective is the differentiator between. Long term success or not, because here's what happens you're at where you are, wherever anybody listening is in their life, whether it's they're unhappy with their career, their relationship status, their financial status, whatever it is. And then they think about where they want to be, right? Mm -hmm. In five years, and they imagine that compelling future that they want to become that version of themselves. And then there's the gap between where am I? Where do I want to be? And this what feels like insurmountable Mm -hmm. distance between those two things. And what they do is they define where they are and they make up a story about where they are and what that means about where they're going and their ability to get there. So what I see a lot of times, and I think one of the reasons I've had the success I've had is because I've switched this mentality is I never make where I am mean Anything negative about where I want to go, mm. meaning if I think that I'm not where I want to be yet, and I think that means I'm not a good leader, maybe I'm not creative enough, I don't have the skills, I don't have the experience, all the stories we tell ourselves. But if you think long term and you knew without a shadow of a doubt you were going to get to that destination and that it was, or even something better, mm-hmm. that or something better. If you knew that and had that confidence and had that belief and you could see 10 years down the road and see ama- how amazing your life was, you wouldn't make where you are mean anything, but this is just a stepping stone. absolutely. And that's how I approach my life. And I'm yeah. like, oh, where I am at is exactly where I need to be because it's where I'm at right now. And absolutely. if I was meant to be somewhere else, I would be. But the fact that I'm experiencing this in this moment is means it's for me. And I get to figure out what's in this for me. And if I'm not experiencing gratitude or if I'm experiencing tension or overwhelm or stress, I just come back to that and it's like, what is this trying to show me? Because it's for me and it's trying to move me towards the direction of who I think I wanna become.
1: Yeah, we are absolutely a reflection of the obstacles that we overcome Mm -hmm. and the pressure that we face and moving past that pressure. And I think that if you don't learn how to stomach that now, Mm That you're never going to get to the destination you're trying to get to or the better one that may end up that, that was kind of the realization that i had lately because when i started guestia we raised this money to seed the software company and i never started a software company before. i'm not a developer i'm not a product guy i'm not any i didn't have any business starting a software business we raised money for it from a bunch of people that i trust and admire and look up to and all these you know different people i've built relationships with over the years and it was extremely stressful after we closed the round counterintuitively it was like you know typically people will kind of praise that you know Mm -hmm. like oh you raised over a million dollars for a software startup great job and to me it was like as soon as we closed i was like the most stress i've ever felt in my life now the work starts yeah because like that's step one and yeah it's a difficult step but now the real work begins where i have to go turn this money into more money Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean or i risk losing my reputation and it weighed on me so heavily for six to eight months, made me almost like not even productive. Mm. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, if this is the path that I'm choosing, meaning that even if like regardless of what happens with Guestio, we go bankrupt or we sell for a hundred million dollars, whatever happens, I'm still going to be taking risks like this for the rest of my life because that's who I am and that's the path that I'm choosing. So if I can't learn to stomach the risk of like a small amount of money of a million bucks. Like, what makes me think I can go raise $12 million or $20 million or start a real estate fund and buy, you know, multifamily properties that are $150 million in our portfolio? Like, what makes me think that I can go do all those other things if I can't stomach the pressure that comes along with a million bucks? Mm -hmm. And it just forced me to figure out a way to deal with it. The solution's not going to come tomorrow. Right. You know what I mean? Like we're in a build here. This is going to take multiple years to figure out. And if I can't figure out how to stomach the pressure now, I'm going to have ulcers and gray hair by the time I'm 33. How did you, know you I
0: mean? how did you do that? How did, what was the thing that you figured out how to deal with that? So was the, that
1: like the first thing was like getting to the root of the problem. Like What is the thing that stresses me out the most about what I do?
0: Which is typically what rooted for me, in some kind of fear, like if you like strip it all back, it's like, what's the fear there?
1: It wasn't necessarily fear for me. It was more of a lack of alignment in my skill set okay. versus what I was spending time on. So the solution for me became hire somebody that's an operator that can take all the things off of my plate that I don't want to do, even though they're an expensive hire, even though it's a big risk of a hire because it's the most expensive hire I've ever done, bringing in that person and taking that pressure off of me will allow me to do the things with my time that I think I'm uniquely qualified and very good at that most people are not good at. And that is a better seat for me to sit in and this person can handle this thing. So it took us like four months, 30 interviews and stuff. We finally made an offer like six weeks ago. We brought on or like two months ago, we brought on an operator for that business Mm -hmm. and it's already taken loads of stress off of my shoulders. Yeah. yeah, even though it's a, like, again, it's a big risk. It may not even work out. Like, I hope it does. I think the guy's really great. We, like I said, 30 interviews and we did two or three rounds of interviews, met in person. I get good feelings from the guy. He's sure. working well with the team. Everything's going well, um, but it's a risk nonetheless. But I think that it was one that was worth it. For me, for me it came down to an understanding of, what like what is the thing that's really stressing me out the most? And it's like, I feel underqualified and undereducated to do this particular role within the company, yet this is where I find myself in the majority of my hours during mm-hmm. the day. And it was absolutely just not working. At first I was like, I can wear the hat. You know, I'll put that hat on, put this hat on, put this hat on, I just wanna save money, run the company really frugally. I'll do it all. I'll spend, I'll, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is a really great strategy. <laughs> Until no, it's not. Exactly. Yeah. So it became not really fast. <laughs> And that became the root of the problem for me was just like, how am I spending my time? And what will free me up to do the things, like I said, that I'm good at that other people would not be able to do?
0: Well, again, I think it requires humility to even be able to admit that. But for anybody that watches the show. And for me personally, like I always tend to look at where do I have, what do I have the most resistance around? You know, why is that resistance there? And what is that trying to show me? And it might be that I'm out of alignment somewhere. And because when I'm in alignment, that resistance intention kind of goes away. And I always think about it as like going to the chiropractor. It's like when I get back into my role that i'm good at that mm. i'm uniquely qualified for and i'm not trying to be everything to everybody I'm not trying to be someone i'm not and i'm letting that person be really good at what they're good at then there's just this release of yeah the pressure yeah, that's built up right yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: that was super important yeah for awesome. us to do to make that decision this episode of the show is brought to you by indeed Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. But I I really want to get back. We skipped a bunch of things here in your story that I'm really interested in. So I want to get back into that. So sports, competitive, parents in education. So did they push you down to a certain career path? Like I typically find that people whose parents were really into the education side, don't really end up like in the online world. Mm -hmm. They tend to have like more kind of traditional career paths, traditional college, university, get a job, you know, be an accountant or a lawyer or something like that. Did they push you in that direction at all? Was that ever part of your path? Did you have any inkling or desire to go down those directions?
0: Yes and no. So they never pushed me in any one direction. And I actually sort of always had this entrepreneurial spirit since I was a kid. Like I was the kid that would bring like – Get my mom on Saturday, get her to take me to Sam's or Costco and buy like candy in bulk and take it to school and like sell it on the side to my friends. Nice. And then I ran in college. I ran a a photography business. What did you do to school? I went to the University of Alabama. Oh, okay. So I started in photography, thought I wanted to be a commercial photographer, had a great business in college and my sister got sick with cancer and I did this portrait photo shoot of her after she shaved her head and lost all of her hair. And it that was such a profound experience. And for some reason, it kind of stole my joy for photography at the time it was actually I put the camera down after that and didn't really pick it up for a really long time. And all of a sudden I was like, I want to take my life in a different path. And I didn't know what that looked like. But I know I wanted like most people To help people, right? It was like, what do you want to do? I want to help people. What does that mean? What does that look like? And I didn't know. And like many people in college, you're kind of trying to figure that out. And a friend of mine was like, "Oh well, I'm in social work and it's easy. And so I followed that. And so I got the mind
1: of a 19-year-old. Totally. It's like, easy, sign me up.
0: But the thing was, my parents (laughs) always really encouraged me to find my way. And they Mm -hmm. believed in me and they trusted me that I would figure it out. And that I just, they just continued to encourage me to pursue the things that were real and true and interesting for me. So I got into social work. And although I found it interesting in psychology, that's where I started at my toe into psychology. I figured out very quickly, it was not going to provide the lifestyle I wanted. And it was really heavy and dense and intense. And so I went the corporate path right out of college. It was like, What my dad always said was like, but you do have to pay your bills and you got to figure that out. So I took a job in software sales right out of college and did that outside sales for six years before I went in-house to do sales operations, training and onboarding for like performance management. We were selling legal software and services to large corporate legal departments in the biggest law firms in the country.
1: How was that experience for you?
0: Worked for a really toxic boss, okay. which taught me a lot, though, about teamwork and collaboration outside of that culture. and culture. To-
1: toxic in what ways? Oh, gosh. Don't even get you
0: started. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just abusive. Just an
1: abuse of power.
0: Yes. Yeah. But also even the hiring structure he hired. So his HR, like hiring manager was a former Miss USA and his whole strategy was to hire girls that had been in the Miss USA pageant system because they were beautiful and they could talk and they could hold a conversation and men enjoyed giving them sell better. Yeah. Yeah. They sold better. And that was the whole strategy. And as you know, so that was the environment you come into. It was, Here's a Tiffany bracelet during your onboarding process, but I'm not going to give you health insurance. That was the environment that I lived, like I worked in for six years. And it was interesting, though, thinking back, like I just a touch of misogyny sort (laughs) of became like this in some ways, this person that the other my like coworkers rallied around because i wasn't really afraid to stick up for myself mm-hmm. and i wasn't afraid to stand up for the other people that i worked with and he didn't love the fact that i balked at his authority no no
1: <laughs> so strange
0: so Usually eventually people like that left. have such a
1: great relationship with yeah. their ego but there's a they- cost
0: and a payoff to everything and i realized that there was yeah. a cost to working for them but there was a payoff Right. I had flexibility. I sure. got, there were different, Making good money, and I, I assume, was always weighing the options, you know, yeah. weighing, is this worth being here or not? And I, for a while, it was a very strategic move to stay as long as I did. And then when those, the cost outweighed the benefits, sure. I was out.
1: You also probably gained a lot of experience in selling, totally. which was
0: invaluable, pretty beneficial to the rest of your Extremely career. Extremely valuable. Yeah. Cause then I ended up going working for the top country in the industry yeah, top company and doing all of their sales training and teaching oh, really? their salespeople how to go out and sell. Got it. so
1: that was two separate companies. Yes. So we did outside sales for this other company yeah. and then moved to inside, inside sales management. Yeah,
0: sales operations. Got it. Yeah, got it. Then I ended up starting a podcast, and the response from the company at the time because I posted on LinkedIn, I got a call from my boss and her boss, and they didn't love the fact that I'd started a podcast. Why? The response that I got from them was that this looks like it takes a lot of time. And how do we know you're not doing it on our dollar? Because I worked from home full time. And they made a lot of assumptions out of the gate thinking that they were afraid, in their opinion, that I was going to like sell, like give away trade secrets and stuff. Well, they didn't even realize because they failed to listen to the show. It had nothing to do with sales sales. or anything that we did. So that put enough of a bad taste in my mouth to really want to pursue what felt good for me. Because sure. at the time I was going through this whole separate kind of come to Jesus moment, spiritual awakening and my personal life that was completely restructuring my priorities and what was really meaningful and important to me. Yeah. And so that was my first act of creating something that I was really proud of that felt like Tori, that was rejected in such a, Public way yeah. and I was informal way, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I was like, All right, this was the push I needed, yeah, to go actually bet on myself and see what I can do on my own.
1: Why did you start the podcast to begin with?
0: I wanted to bottle up conversations that I was that I had with my parents my whole life, you know, sitting on the patio, having wine, grilling out, and having really meaningful, profound helpful, useful conversations that I realized as I got older, other people didn't have access to. Other people didn't have parents like mine. They didn't, they weren't encouraged the way I was. They, you know, and I was like, people need this. (laughs) And it was sort of a selfish endeavor because I was very much trying to heal from a lot of the things I'd experienced in my life. And it was my opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with somebody who could actually provide me useful tools. Sure. And so it really started as like my desire to work on myself by interviewing people who had worked on themselves.
1: Were you a podcast listener for a while before that? A little bit. Okay. Yeah,
0: but not too long. You know, I, there were a couple of podcasts that I listened to that were very much in the coaching education side. Okay. And what um, were
1: some of the first ones that you liked?
0: The first one was by a woman named Christine Hassler. It's called Over and On with the oh, Podcast. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. I know.
0: She became a coach of mine for a little while during okay. that period. and I met
1: her at an Aubrey Marcus yep. mastermind event yeah, like four cool. years ago. So
0: similar type, those types of shows, Aubrey's okay. show being one of them as well. And I was at a place personally where I was doing a whole new level of self-exploration and self-discovery. Like, I'm- who am I? Why do I do what I do? Why am I pursuing the things that I'm pursuing? What do I enjoy? <laughs> so those shows kind of allowed me to be a sponge, but there was a, always like a moment where I was like, okay, now I need
1: I like is something it, about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like you can just absorb as much information as you want. There's knowledge out there everywhere, but yep. apply like that doesn't necessarily make you powerful. You have to apply it and integrate it and use it. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with the idea thing. It's so funny when everybody, you get people that are that have like an idea for a company or something mm. like, and they're so secretive about it. And I learned this when I was pitching for, for Guestio because you start realizing like in the angel investors, VCs and all this other stuff, like you're initially thinking, hey, please uh, sign this NDA because I'd want to protect my IP or whatever. No serious angel investor is going to sign an NDA to look at your pitch deck, you know, like mm-hmm. because they know more so than most people That ideas are literally a dime a dozen. There is zero value in having an idea. The only value comes in the execution of that idea. And it's the same concept. You can soak up knowledge all day, every day, and still work at Starbucks
0: for the rest of your life. many people whose lives are in the, like they're getting the results they're getting. And it's not because they have a lack of resources or information. And I think it's Jim Quick who's like, Shelf help is not self help. Yeah, shelf
1: help. Yeah, he does call it shelf help. Yeah,
0: he's like, you're buying a book and it's sitting there collecting dust, or even you read it, but you have yet to apply one principle. No, that sounds good. And I'm (laughs) going to post a quote on my Instagram or tweet this, but yet I've done nothing differently. Right. You know, and I try to live my life in a way. That my internal world and my external world are congruent. You mm. know what I mean? They're aligning. They're aligning. There's it's integrity and yeah. There <clears> certainly <throat> and will I'm sure be moments in my life where I say one thing and I do another,
1: right? Sure. But sometimes it's un- like we all have blind spots. Totally. We, yeah.
0: But that's a check in that I do very consistently with the,
1: myself. The check in's a good idea. It's yeah. the it's the clarity like purposeful times to take. An inventory of of what you believe, why you believe it, and if your actions match with mm-hmm. what your beliefs are. And a lot of times just consuming a bunch of information is actually counterintuitive to the path that you should be going down because there's so many conflicting views. I would talk about earlier, like success is not a diver. it's not, there's not success or not success. Linear. You can have success in a multitude of ways. And so if you listen to this person and then you listen to this person and you read from 14 different people. They're all going to have different opinions about what you should be doing, mm-hmm. how you should be spending your time. What, like, at the end of the day, you got to just do. You yeah. got to do something, Absolutely. and then the next thing to do will probably show itself to you while you're doing the first thing. Exactly. But if you just sit and wait and hope for this revelation, it's just it's not going to come. Those are the people that that have one year of experience, 20 times over. Like they'll tell you like, I've been been working this job for 20, I have 20 years of experience. It's like, no, you have one year of experience, (laughs) lived 20 years over because you've never done anything different. Mm -hmm. And all you're hoping for at the end of the year is your little cost of living raise, your 7% increase on your pay. And you keep talking about all the things that you want to do. And you keep thinking about all these ideas and you have a dream board and a vision board and you've watched The Secret 42 times on Netflix, but you don't do anything. Mm Yeah. If you don't do anything, nothing's going to change, yep. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, and I think that's the kicker, right? You can't be in the planning phase forever. And that's when just absorbing and collecting information and knowledge becomes a form of self-sabotage, honestly. It is, absolutely. Because it's just another distraction. It's
1: mental masturbation.
0: It's something that you can get off on that makes yep. you feel like you're making progress, yep. makes you feel good about yourself. Get a hit a dopamine. But you really aren't doing nothing. Yep. And I would rather follow somebody and like learn from somebody who goes to a workshop, goes to a retreat, reads a book, and then spends the next 60, 90 days doing the thing. Yeah,
1: and falling on their face most likely. Yeah, That's really what it comes down to is it's operating from a place of fear and scarcity because at the end of the day, you think that the consumption of the information is going to prevent you from failing at all. And while it may be the case that will help maybe mitigate failure or bring you more information to light that will help you in your journey, maybe shave some time off the learning curve, you will fail. It is a guarantee. You will be embarrassed of something that you do. You will fall flat on your face when you try to launch a new product or write a book or start a podcast or quit your job and start a freaking flooring business. I don't care what it is. You will fail. It is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. So the sooner you take action and start getting used to failing, the sooner you learn how to overcome that failure better. And the sooner you learn how to avoid that failure again in the future. And if you just sit there reading and consuming information, thinking that's going to be the thing that prevents you from the pain of failure, you're just wrong. It's just a lack of understanding of what it takes to truly become outsized successful. You know what I mean? It's just It's part you have to factor it in and some people can't stomach that because it sucks, especially if it's something like this podcasting or content or something because it's such a public way to fail. That was the biggest fear that I had when I started this because I had a bunch of people that I knew were hoping I was going to fail because of the world that I came from, there was a bunch of people that I just knew were just like I said, it was it's a public way to be like, I want to do this thing. Publicly, like, we'll watch please you. help. Yeah, yeah, right. And so you have people sitting there with popcorn just hoping. Yep. And it's like, I know that during the times where I was failing, the first couple of years where I was like barely getting by and trying to get this thing off the ground and, you know, get to the end of the runway and have some lift. Mm-hmm. It was like, I know that those people were just rooting for my failure. And in some ways, they got what they wanted several times over during that period of time. Mm-hmm. But if you are so concerned with what's happening in the next 12 months, you'll never be able to optimize for what's happening in the next 10 years. And that's much a much more effective way to go about success in general yeah. is thinking more long term than short term and being able to delay gratification and be okay with short term embarrassment, short term failure, because you know that at one point, like at some point it's mm-hmm. going to flip, you know what I mean? Where like that person is seemingly like there's somebody that's talking shit on you or actively rooting for you to fail. And it seemingly looks like when you're, whatever, 25, that maybe they're more successful because they stayed in the corporate job and they're getting a fat salary and they live in a beautiful condo on the high rise in Chicago or whatever. And you're like eating shit, living in your parents' spare bedroom, trying to build a business. It looks like they've won. But in 10 years, they're here because they've gotten two promotions. Mm -hmm. But you're here because you've built a multi-eight figure business that you exit. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's a complete misunderstanding of priority.
0: It just reminds me of a conversation or a text I got recently because I had that exact experience. Basically, when I started posting on social media and starting my own business and the podcast and everything, there was definitely a contrast of reviews from my friends and people that I knew and what mm-hmm. people thought about it from my people from work to, yeah, right, from my bosses and my coworkers to my friends, closest friends. And I definitely lost friendships that I remember one girl specifically I was really close with the things that she would say about me is like, oh, Tori's trying to be an influencer. Like, look at what is she trying to do? Like making it a joke and thinking it was funny and that relationship kind of dissolved. And only this past week, now that I'm having, we just crossed the million mark and having a ton of success and hit number one on the education podcast. And I get this long text from her and it's been years. I'm, I was the godmother of a child. Like we were deeply close. And, uh, she was just basically said you pursuing the thing that you wanted and doing it. So, you know, passionately and intentionally like triggered me because I wasn't growing. I was afraid you were going to leave me behind and as a result outgrow me. And, and so it's interesting to make sure it happened. Exactly. And it's just interesting because like you were saying, it really does come down to like the longevity and like thinking Mm long-term because these things, you know, aren't built overnight. They all take time. They all take time. And but yet the people who, you know, are the doubters or the haters who there will be and they want to see you fail, the m- The moment that you start to have success, <laughs> the moment that they're like.
1: It's the come to Jesus moment where they realize they were wrong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and Where they
1: can't say anything about it anymore. Right. You know, so their only option is to support. Right. Because you're going to be successful regardless. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's un- it's unfortunate that it works that way, but that is how it works, and it's the same, you know, for anybody that's trying to do something, anything different. If you're just trying to do something different, you're always going to get this reaction, and it's mm-hmm. going to be most painfully from the people that love you and care about you the most. Yeah,
0: unfortunately. and
1: sometimes it's because of what you know your friend was saying, but other times it's because they don't want to see you fail, they don't want to see you get embarrassed, they don't want to see you, you know, do it for eight months and then. Realize that you quit your job and now you don't know how you're going to pay. Like, they don't want to see that pain either. Mm -hmm. Even some people are just, they're doing it from a place of love for you. Yeah. It's just misplaced. Absolutely. Because it's a misunderstanding of what I value in life. It's just like, I don't want to work for a corporate corporation Mm. that doesn't doesn't value what I want. I want to do this thing. Even if it means less money, even if it means late nights, even if it means downgrading my lifestyle for a little while, you know, it's a worthy pursuit and I'm fine with that and I need you to be fine with that. Well, and it's a projection.
0: It's a projection of their own feet that Mm -hmm. they're putting onto you and they're calling it and they're saying, I'm trying to protect you and I want to love you by keeping you small. And that's unfortunate. And like you said, it's just misplaced. Mm -hmm. And yes,
1: it it is. Yeah. As a parent, it's your job to keep your kids safe. Of course. So it's really hard when they like become an adult and they start doing stuff that you perceive as being inherently risky. Yeah, it's like, wait, before you do that, you know, like, let's maybe talk about this for a second. Well, I I was
0: encouraged when I started, there was like, from a lot of people, I deeply respected. they're like, you need to have this much in savings. You need to be able to pay your bills for six months if something ever happens. And so, and I was like, that's all nice advice. And I really appreciate it. I'm going to listen to, it, but I'm not going to take it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, and I, not everybody will take the same path. And, sure. but I had a conviction personally. Yeah. I knew I needed to put myself on the hook to yeah. show up to actually put in the work that sometimes was necessary yeah. to get it done. Money if can I, be a
1: great accountability partner.
0: Yeah. So. Well, and if I had that cushion, I wouldn't have had the pressure right. to actually go out to and perform. make it happen. Yeah.
1: yeah. Right. No, sometimes you need it. Yeah. You know, and most of the time, my advice is different for everybody. Especially like, you know, if you're in your 40s and you have four kids and you know what I mean? It's like, it's going to be a little bit different. Absolutely. But if you're in your 20s and you're single yeah. and it's just like, just do something, try things, do like take big risks mm-hmm. literally in the optimal time of life yeah. to make those big decisions and put yourself in a position that is potentially extremely risky. And to me, it's like, I always looked at, not always, one thing that I've recently gotten better at, I should say. Is looking at my current problems in the scope of the future version that I've, of myself that I want to become. And it really puts things into perspective because most people would look at a $5,000 investment, a $10,000 investment, a $25,000 investment as intrinsically a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I always knew that I wanted to be somebody that at least was worth eight figures at the time. Now I'm, my goals moved on to nine figures. But at the time, it was like, if I could be worth $10 million, then. Like, that's a great goal. And I want to do that before I'm 40. Like, I want to be able to have the option to retire before I'm 40 was Mm -hmm. my goal when I started everything. It's a lot higher than that now. But at the time, it was still made a $20,000, $10,000, $5,000 investment super insignificant if you look at it in relation to where you want to be. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be worth $10 million, but I'm going to let this $5,000 investment prevent me from getting to where I want to be, even though it's astronomically more than what this, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So like, you gotta be able to adopt a future versions of yourself's identity before you reach that level or else you're gonna keep making the decisions of the person that thinks $10,000 is a lot of money. Yeah. You're gonna keep making the decision of the 50K a year person. If you keep taking the actions and adopting the mindset of a 50K a year person, you're always gonna be a 50K a year person.
0: Well, and you might make progress. It's just gonna be-
1: Incremental. incremental. You get your 8%, you know, cost of living raise. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you're going to come up against a lot of frustration of why am I not making progress at a quicker rate? But, yeah. then, but it's going to be compared, like it's going to be in proportion to the risks that you're correct to take.
1: Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Because I, I hesitate to give the advice to people, but I tell them, this is my story. You know, like you don't have to do what I did, exactly. but I'm telling you, like, if you want to know how I got from where I was to where I am now in this period of time, this is what I did. I'm not telling you you have to do the same thing because I understand it's. Risky and sounds insane. You know, like when I started the show and wanted to move my business online, because I was doing door-to-door sales at the time, I had I pulled out a 0% interest credit card and I filled that bad boy up. Mm -hmm. It was a $42,000 credit limit. I was 24 at the time, 25 at the time. I filled up $42,000 in debt on a credit card. But talk about like putting your feet to the fire. I knew that I wasn't going to set my family back and not pay that card off so before i ever paid a diamond it was 18 months zero percent interest i think it was like the chase freedom unlimited or something mm-hmm. and before i ever paid a diamond in interest on that i'd paid off the entire card with money from the online business and paying off that debt was like a, oh my gosh i can't believe i did that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. but it, it sounds again it sounds insane like to say like hey pull out credit cards and spend a bunch of money on them. The problem is that most people would take that advice and then they go buy a TV and a bunch of and like a MacBook Pro and stuff like that. I wasn't doing that. I was buying coaching. I was paying for masterminds. Same. I was mm-hmm. buying proximity to people that had figured it out. I was buying knowledge information and I was taking action on all the knowledge information I was getting. Right. And I had my sales ability to rely on to where like I knew I could sell stuff if I had something to sell. So paid off that card when I started my software company. The first version of the software, I pulled out $90,000 in 0% credit cards, three or four different ones. He's my buddy, Bill Jennings has a company called Pathway Financial. They help you you know, get lines of credit from credit card companies at 0% interest. So I took out $90,000 in 0% interest credit cards, put the first version of the build of Guestio is like $78,000, something like that, almost 80 grand and built out the first version of the platform and then used that to go raise $1.4 million to take myself out of debt, put myself in a position to succeed and start building the company. Those are big risks. It easily could have been the opposite of that. It easily could have been. I have eighty thousand dollars on this credit card, and nobody will give me any money, and I can't figure out how to make money, and now I'm just eighty thousand dollars in credit card Mm -hmm. debt, and now I'm paying interest. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that could have been the story. But the bottom line is, I was okay with that version of the story because I want this to be worth more than ninety grand one day. And at the end of the day, even if I'm on the hook for ninety grand, it's still just not enough to be able to take me away from the pursuit. Of what i really want to achieve which is in 10 years from now want to be able to not have to work again yeah you know what i mean so if you first of all aren't thinking about your current problems in contrast to your you know future desires that's one thing but then secondly it's a good way to make sure or measure up what your future desires are and if they're big enough Mm -hmm. because sometimes i think people just have a misunderstanding like they have an underestimation of what it's going to take
0: i agree i agree i think one of the things i've actually been working with a lot of clients on recently is creating a new orientation to dreaming big because I've been struck by how many people have so many limitations around like really dreaming big, especially women, because they've been told to be a certain way and like sure. that they need to fill certain roles and that they don't need to outperform their you know, their partner or their spouse or whatever. And, and so I've actually, that's been a conversation that I've been having with several people recently is that it's safe. It's safe to dream and it's safe to dream really big and it's safe to want more. You're allowed to want more and also be grateful for where you are and what you have right now. Just because you are pursuing something that feels audacious and big doesn't mean you're not at the same time grateful for what you have sure. and see your privilege in the position that you might be right now.
1: Totally. We, uh, this house that we're in right now, we bought this a couple of years ago. One of the reasons we bought it was that we had a perfect view of the strip, like the whole strip it was just a, like an empty dirt lot behind us. So on our balcony, we can see like all the Vegas strip and it was beautiful view sitting out on the porch at night, mm-hmm. like glass of wine, whatever. Four or five months ago, we find out that they're doing this huge commercial development behind us. And it was like, oh man, that's going kind to of take away part of our view. But we we're like, uh, oh, it's not, oh, it, it is what it is. You know, it's a half mile from the house and they're putting in some cool restaurants and a good place to go walk around and hang out. So that's pretty cool. You know, take the good with the bad, whatever. But then like a couple months later, right behind our house, there's another development going in and they put in a bunch of like freaking like two-story, three-story like eight plexes, and they're like luxury condos, So it's not like they're going to be like not great neighbors, but it's 10 feet from our back wall. And it eliminated our view by the time the project is done. Our view will be gone completely. And all we'll be looking at is the stucco of other people's places. And my immediate reaction was like, well, let's pack up and move. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, let's, Mm -hmm. let's get out, let's go somewhere else. Let's find that view. Like be able to get a bigger yard or something. Yeah. And it was kind of what you're just saying. It was like a realization that like, you know what? It's not smart to do that right now. The real estate market's completely different. We bought it a great time. Our interest rate's extremely low. We have a next-gen apartment that we have a renter in that pays us money in rent every month. Like we keep our expenses extremely low so I can be really nimble and take big risks in my business. Mm -hmm. And it's just a face. And we just have to, we need to be very grateful for where we are because it's still a beautiful home and we're very grateful to have it. And we're lucky to have it. And so it's, you know, better than what we lived in any other place mm-hmm. we've been, we have a lot of equity in the home. Cause again, we bought it at a great time. Our interest rates, like there's so many things to be grateful for, but you can always get caught in that. Like, yeah, but I want that. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to be there. Yeah. And it's like, I, it's so good to have those big dreams and goals, but it's also so important to remain extremely grateful for the position that you're in and recognize how far you've come
0: Absolutely. as well, or
1: else you're just going to, drive yourself crazy
0: absolutely well it's always on to the next best thing where you yeah. don't ever stop to actually appreciate where you are and knowing what we were talking about earlier this is a phase this is a part of the yeah. journey so if me in five years was sitting in my mansion with amazing views of the strip <laughs> and having a glass of wine with my wife is looks back and it's like remember when we were in that house yeah. da, 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 da. you know what i mean it's like that in in your mind you're like that is a guarantee that's yeah. gonna happen exactly you're resourceful you're committed to doing the long work over time and fail forward. And it's like, okay, so this too shall pass. And for now, right now, the grass is going to be green where we water it and we're going to water it where we are.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So keep going back to your story and getting sidetracked. (laughs) So your college, uh, you get the corporate job, start the podcast. How does that start turning into money for you? What are you doing to start building a business?
0: I immediately sold my house. Okay. I bought a beautiful house, 25, 26. Had a, it was You're like still on the, the East dream. Coast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Still in Atlanta. Started the business, but I was like, I need to get myself off the hook for this mortgage. I need to give myself a chance to actually be successful. Sold my house. Props to moved you. Moved into a tiny apartment and then COVID hit.
1: Oh, wow. Yep. Okay.
0: So I did everything out of my time. So you
1: started the podcast in 19 or 20? 19. 19. Okay.
0: End of 19. But I immediately hired a coach okay. because I quit my job and I was like, I need to make money and I don't know what I'm selling. Or Is what a business
1: coach? A, a business or, okay.
0: coach that was focused on coaching. So I started offering one-on-one and group coaching. I mm-hmm. built out a program and started doing little workshops. And literally, it was just <clears> one <throat> foot in front of the other. Like just started with like now when I look back at my graphics and my marketing for it, it was just, it's so cringy, but like I have yeah. love for her. <laughs> it was me
1: and Canva for yeah. like the first two years.
0: Totally. Like- <laughs> totally. So it started with that. And then I ran a group coaching program that turned into a mastermind that I did several times, one-on-one group coaching. And then in 2020, during COVID, everyone's on lockdown. Everyone's on social media, TikTok. I randomly got an email from TikTok and I had no followers on Instagram. I had like, Only ever used my Instagram for personal reasons. Now Mm. I'm trying to make this pivot into business and use it for marketing myself. And I get this random email that I almost deleted because I was like, I don't know why TikTok's emailing me about something called the Creative Learning Fund that they were starting during COVID as a way to bring, they were trying to position TikTok as not just a kid's platform for dancing, Mm. right? And they wanted to bring other thought leaders and experts and people in other niches and verticals that were educating people. Sure. From home. So I signed up for this little program that they were doing. They were like, we'll pay you $1,500 to make like 40 videos and start your TikTok. And I was in the motivation like niche. And during those 40 videos, during that ramp up of like, I'm just going to put content out there. I wasn't afraid to put content out there because I knew no one on the platform at the time. And so i just went for it and in that first month of putting out 40 videos consistently i started to see immediate growth and i remember one video it was 3 years ago yesterday that was my first viral video and all of a sudden i sort of started to build this community and this audience simply off me talking about my life and the lessons i was learning and the things i was going through and all of these people were looking to me, and now considered me, you know, an expert in this space in some ways. But people trust who they see and who they see consistently. And as and so, I just started posting on TikTok and built a following there. Uh, yesterday, we hit one million followers. So it's been about Congrats. three years. Thank you. Yeah, it's a big accomplishment, but a lot of to answer your question, how did I make money? It started with coaching and then brands started reaching out and wanting to do brand partnerships with me. And it's only been recently that we've brought on, you know, some other streams of revenue. I did, ran retreats and now I have the podcast and that's doing really well and i have done consulting. It was really be scrappy yeah. <laughs> and figure out what you can offer. Yeah. I, you know, and that's what I did for like the first year before things started to Same. take off. Yeah. Just yeah.
1: like, what can I sell? What skills do I have?
0: <laughs> what it was like, that, oh, I have
1: to fulfill now.
0: Right. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Got to learn
1: how to do that part of the business. You know, mm-hmm. It's coming from sales. You just sell and you think it's done, you know, and then you become a business owner. You're like, oh, I actually have to like do the things now. Wait, there's I no ops team that on. I hand <laughs> yeah, this right. over to and <laughs> yeah. you
0: guys fulfill on delivery. Yeah, Tori, meet.
1: I guess meet me, me. Yes, Yeah, because I'm, I'm going to be the one to do everything
0: yes. now. Yeah. yeah, So it's been a huge learning curve and it continues to be like every day. I just learn more about who I am, what I want to do. And there was a point though, a couple, about a year and a half, two years ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of Brand Builders Group. They're a group out of Nashville, Rory Vaden and his wife, AJ, run it. I joined them. They help personal brands monetize and really figure out their messaging and who they are and who they help. And that was really important for me because as soon as I started working with them, one of the first things they had me do was look at my streams of revenue and how I was making money. And at the time it was one-on-one and group coaching. That was like primarily, and then it was like brand partnerships. And then it was a retreat and then it was affiliates, maybe Mm -hmm. the podcast, right? It was. And one of the things they encouraged me to do was to look at where I was bringing in money. And the next thing is, where do you want to, how do you want to be making money long-term? So a couple of years from now, what would you like your business model to look like? For me, it was speaking. And bigger deals in the podcast. And it became very clear as soon as I defined that, that I needed to make strategic business decisions to move away from just the coaching piece. Why get myself into a year long contract with all these people again and commit another year when ultimately I wanna be speaking and doing podcasts? So yeah. that helped me to start to see where I needed to start to shift my priorities. And what to say yes to, and what to say no to in my business, mm. even if it seems like a good opportunity at the time, and this client wants to h- That's the hire hardest part. me. It's right? The hardest part to turn it's like, down money, but it's not aligned with where I want to go. It's
1: not in my DNA to turn down money, but it has to be. Yep. Yeah.
0: So I got, I learned how to say no to things that look good, but not might not feel good for me long term. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, super interesting. What's next for you? You think.
0: You know, I've been getting this question a lot lately and the truth at this moment in time is more of what I'm doing right now. Like I really feel like I'm in a place that I have everything I want in life in personally and professionally. I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing in terms of speaking, facilitating and doing this podcast and having this conversation. So it's more of this on a bigger scale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because right now I just feel really fulfilled and that might change. You know, down the road. Sure, yeah. But probably a book at some point. Yeah. That's been on the horizon. We've had some opportunities and deals come up, but it hasn't been the right one. And who knows? I mean, ultimately, I would love to have my show continue to take off and either be doing really well, have its own TV show or whatever. But sure. more of what it what we're currently doing. Definitely.
1: Well, congrats on the success you've seen so far. Seems well-earned, well-deserved. And uh, yeah, we'll be following along the journey. If you're listening, watching right now, go check out some of Tori's stuff. Where is the best place, the one place that you want them to go? connect with you
0: more. The coachable podcast. Yeah. We're going to have Travis on very soon. So you're going to be able to come hear our conversation where he's in the guest seat soon. That's where you can find us on YouTube and um, Apple, Spotify, wherever.
1: So you are checking this out right now, the coachable podcast, whatever podcast app you're listening in, search that or go check it out on YouTube. Tori, thanks so much for coming on the
0: show. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me.
1: That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischappell.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischappell.com slash team.